2: Hello and welcome to our live Q&A on YouTube as part of the circling the bases podcast from NBC Sports Edge. This is our weekly Q&A on YouTube. Sometimes it's it's uh, it centers around like waiver wire pickups and two start starters. But we're heading into the all star break. So we're kind of late on waiver wire content. Um, Anyway, I'm Drew Silva. Joining me is George Bissell. Uh, What are we going to talk about today, George?
0: Well,
3: there is some relevant fantasy news there we are going to touch on, but yep. it's that wonderful time of the year where everybody just wants to get to the all-star break. So if you're listening to this, we know you're a diehard, hardcore <laughs> fantasy manager. So you're our audience. This is, this show's for you. This is what we live for talking about these, these kinds of shows.
2: Yeah. Send in your questions. We'll answer whatever baseball, non-baseball. Maybe you got lineup questions going into the week. Um, yeah, I think even for for writers, we need a little all star break. And and I know you had a a jam packed weekend working on the site. I don't know what would be like the biggest headline from the, from the past week. The Juan Soto news definitely. When did that drop on Friday or Saturday?
3: So that hit about ten thirty in the morning on Saturday, right before uh, the full slate of games kicked in. And basically, Ken Rosenthal came out with a report that said that Juan Soto has turned down a 15-year, $440 million contract extension. And the belief within the Nationals organization is that they're not going to be able to sign him long-term, so they're open to exploring the possibility of trading him. And here's the key to that report, which Rosenthal touches on, is that the Nationals aren't in a hurry to actually deal him. They're just merely exploring their options. There's a couple of factors that go into this decision. It's one, where the Nationals are in their contention cycle, and two, there's the possibility that the Learner family is going to sell the team. So you have an uncertain, unstable ownership situation, and you don't know what direction this franchise is going to go in, and Juan Soto is still under contract until 2025. So there's not a lot of urgency to actually make a deal happen in the next two weeks or so before the trade deadline. So this is a situation that could potentially draw out into the offseason and potentially even beyond that. So there's a lot of moving parts here, but it certainly sounds like Juan Soto is available based on all the reporting we've seen.
2: Yeah, I think that what you just said there pretty much sums it up, sums up my thoughts on it. Um, I think, I don't know, 15 years, 440 million sounds like a ton of money, and it's crazy for someone to pass that up. But if you break it down, the average annual value of that, you know, on a contract that's going to run to 2037, geez, you know, or like, you know, there's some creative math with the year, so maybe it's only till like 2033, but – he won't. He will not be a top ten paid player, most likely for a large portion of that contract, um, and he deserves top ten money. He's on a Hall of Fame trajectory, you know. At age twenty three, could go down as one of the greatest hitters, one of the greatest OBP machines like in the modern era of baseball. So I get it, and, and I, I kind of agree with you. I think this is such a big decision. On the Nationals' part, and on any team that would come in to acquire him, um, that I I don't really see it happening before that August second trade deadline, unless I mean I mean you hear you hear that Juan Soto is available, and you're the Padres or, or the Dodgers, like with a, a ton of even like the Yankees, like with a ton of prospect capital, and you know the the room in your budget to make a long term commitment to someone like that. I don't think you know. There's probably not a prospect, a group of prospects you wouldn't trade to get Juan Soto and to get the assurance that you can have him long term over, you know, 10 plus years.
3: So the asking price is going to be astronomical that we're assured of. The question is whether a team can meet that asking price and whether the Nationals actually want to pull the trigger on a potential deal. And We don't know what's going on with their ownership situation. I hate to repeat that point, but that's sort of the central question here is, can you deal a franchise cornerstone like Juan Soto and still have a team that's attractive to a potential buyer who's going to be investing literally billions of dollars in this franchise? And the other question too is, if you're that future potential owner, don't you want the ability to go to Juan Soto and say, here's what I'm willing to do to guarantee that you're a national for life, that you're the highest paid player in the game, that your average annual value reaches where you want to be Scott Boris. And, and, you know, that's the question I have here is I think there's a chance that a team just makes a massive offer here in the next two weeks, but I don't know if it'll be enough for the nationals in terms of where they're going. I think they're going to want to wait and play this out and see what direction the franchise goes in over the next six to eight months, roughly.
2: Yeah. Just like a lot of tentacles to this whole deal, um. Yeah, I, 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 I would guess that we're not going to gonna see it. At, and as, as we d- discussed before we hopped on, George, a lot of front offices right now are, are not talking trades because they're having to focus on the draft, which is tonight. And uh, Christopher Crawford will have blurbs on all the top picks, all the first-round picks at our player news page. And honestly, like, I, I can't even really talk much on the draft because I, I don't know that much about, you know, amateur baseball. I'm not a scout. You and me are kind of in the same boat, where we're just we're grinding on player news, and we're focusing mainly on, you know, major leaguers and, and maybe like you know the top 100, top 150 kind of prospects to see how they may fit into the fantasy baseball blueprint. Um, so I don't have much for our listeners on the draft tonight, but check out the NBC Sports Edge player news page because Chris Crawford uh, does hard work on getting like insights into all these youngsters. I know Drew Jones and Jackson Holiday. Um, are among the top three likely to go number one. I think it's they're, they're kind of un, uncertain on, on how that top three is going to shake out, but that makes you feel old having Matt Holiday's son and Andrew Jones' son at the top of the draft. Um, but, yeah, I guess that'll be interesting to watch. But, yeah, so the baseball moved the draft into All-Star Weekend to kind of highlight it, but it's it creates a tricky situation for front offices where they have to focus so much of their resources on building a draft board and, and nailing – the right selections and worrying about budgeting with the, you know, the draft player pool, the draft bonus pool, that they don't really have much time to to focus on putting together a package for Juan Soto and everything, you know, that that needs to come with that. So there's a bit of a time crunch here to where I think this gets pushed into the off season. And maybe there's an, you know, an update on on the ownership situation by then.
3: Yeah, and the other thing, too, is we lost a full minor league season with the pandemic in 2020. So you maybe have less of a track record on some of these prospects in the lower levels of the minors that would potentially yeah. be those lottery ticket fillers, the ancillary pieces to a deal. Those, those guys you don't have as much information, time to evaluate them. So it, it certainly would benefit a team like Washington to wait and see what their options are later on. And this is the problem you run into with a potential Shohei Ohtani deal as well. I know that's been kind of thrown out there that could the Angels consider dealing him? Well, again, you run into those same sorts of problems where the asking price is going to be astronomical. And if you're going to actually move on from Shohei Ohtani, do you want this current front office making that decision? Or do you maybe want the next one coming in to sort of make that decision, as we saw the Red Sox do with Mookie Betts when they brought in Heim Bloom as the chief baseball officer?
2: Yeah, I mean, if you're in the Angels, you're in such a tough spot because you're going to have to pay that, man. That's after 2023 is when he hits free agency, right? And I think from his comments, like through his agent, it seems like he knows his worth and he's not going to take some kind of hometown discount. Like they're going to have to pay him big time. And I think he just wants to test free agency. I think he's actually now the front runner for AL MVP. And I know Aaron Judge was that throughout much of the first half. And and Jordan Alvarez had a, a case too, but he's I don't know, he keeps having that hand issue pop up on him. I think Otani is is the favorite. If if he's talking about back to back AL MVPs going into negotiations for a long term deal this offseason, and I don't know if they can't get something done, do the Angels consider trading him? Because I don't really see the Angels being competitive next year, to you know, sad to say. But they're going to have to like really rework a lot of things to to get back into contention quickly.
3: Yeah, I think the central question with the Angels is what do they do with their front office because it looks like they're going to have to restructure that. They're going to bring in a whole new regime, and at that point, I think you you evaluate what direction you want to go. And frankly. Like, does it make more sense to trade Mike Trout and invest your resources in an Otani extension? Like, these are the questions you have to ask, and that's like a ten-hour meeting. And like, <laughs> yeah. these are these are difficult; these are seismic franchise-altering decisions that don't get made the snap of a finger with I, a
2: text message. Just yeah, like. <laughs> I mean,
3: this isn't Jerry Depoto texting you at three in the morning, and you're like, "Deal!" Like,
2: hey, yeah, can I get this, a back-end reliever? I'm 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 bored.
3: Yeah, throw in Matt Festa, and we got a deal. Like. <laughs> These are really complex discussions and it's fun to talk about them, certainly. But I, I think the incentives are for teams to wait until the off seasons to, to make these types of decisions, uh, especially when you have guys who are still under contract with term on their deals. If Otani were an expiring or Juan Soto were expiring, we were talking about like an Aaron judge situation where they could be a free agent in a few months. That's a completely different equation. But at this point, uh, there's not a lot of benefit to making a quick decision, especially when you're focusing all your resources on the, on the draft here. And it's, it's, they're in a really difficult spot. So you, I think you're going to hear a lot of smoke, but I don't know how much fire there's going to be at the trade deadline. That's my question yeah. now.
0: The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.
1: It's one thing falling in love with a house, picturing yourself moving in and calling it home, and quite another navigating the world of price negotiating, mortgage lenders, and finding the budget that works best for you. An agent who's a realtor can make understanding that world easier. Realtors have the expertise, access to proprietary data, and tools to help you get from imagining living somewhere to actually doing it. That's the kind of help we can provide, because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors.
2: Man, there's because of the expanded playoffs. There are so many like you know contending teams and would be contenders. Um, that I feel like it's going to be a busy trade deadline, but it, I think I'm thinking mostly like, you know, teams are going to be building up their bullpens. There are some, we can, we're going to spend a lot of the next two weeks on this podcast network preview and the trade deadline. So we don't have to harp on it too much. I think Luis Castillo has kind of become the hottest name. If you know, outside of Juan Soto, if that even happens, Luis Castillo has pitched so well, and, I mean, every contender and would-be contender needs starting pitching. Um, even, you know, the Yankees, even the Dodgers, like, they they all need starting pitching, even though those teams have good depth in that regard. Um, you're going to have to worry about workload issues down the stretch for some of the guys that they're pushing really hard in the first half. Um, so, I, I don't know. Frankie Montas, of course, he apparently, what, got through a bullpen session today, is going to slot back in for that doubleheader they have coming out of the break on Thursday. We'll see how he pitches. He needs to prove his health. Um, who else? Clayton. I mean, uh, Madison Bumgarner. I guess if someone wants to take on that contract, the Diamondbacks would trade him. Um, Noah Syndergaard. I think the Angels are sure to trade Noah Syndergaard, uh, but I don't know. There's. I think it's going to be a really interesting deadline, just because so many teams are, you know, will think of themselves as being a playoff-bound team because there are just going to be more of them this year.
3: Yeah, and there's a lot of teams that could use an upgrade in the back end of the rotation. Just look at like the Phillies, for example, today that cropped up. The Zach Eflin had sort of a setback with his knee issue, So all of a sudden, you have an open rotation spot and the deadline's in two weeks. So there's a lot of teams that I think are in contention that could potentially make moves. And you you mentioned it, but relievers. I think that market's going to be one of the hottest ones because we've seen how the game is shortened. You need the starting pitchers to get to the postseason. But once you get there, these are – three, four-inning games sometimes for these starters. I mean, yep. <laughs> you, you need guys who can come out of the bullpen and get big outs in big spots. So I think that's where you might see the most uh movement yeah. where you have a lot of teams that have fallen out of contention who still have some pretty good relievers. I mean, look at, like, the Angels, for example. You know, they have some guys look in that Look at bullpen, the Orioles, Tierra. too. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I
2: mean, I, unless the Orioles decide to buy themselves because they they finished the first half. on. We had a uh, Zach Silver of – MLB.com on the Thursday podcast and, and talk to him about all the trade scenarios. Like, is there a way for the Orioles to kind of both sell and buy, like set themselves up for next year, get some like, you know, more major league ready talent, um, you know, to team up with the guys that they have been graduating this year. Uh, I mean, I don't know. The Orioles are super interesting. The Mariners have come out of nowhere too. here at the end of the the break. Do you have any takeaways from the game that just happened on Peacock Royals? Blue Jays. We know the the Royals were down ten players from their normal active Major League roster due to being unvaccinated. They wound up winning one of four, I guess. Um, yeah, and and took this Sunday game two two into the bottom of the eighth when Alejandro Kirk hit that go ahead, wound up being a game winning two run homer. Um, any any takeaways? Yeah, so Jose Barrios
3: was a really impressive. They've been yep. leaning on him a lot more since Kevin Gossman got hurt. He missed about a turn or two through the rotation. So they've really been leaning on him a lot. Alec Manoa has been great, but Barrios has kind of been the guy who's led them. And, you know, they lost Hunjin Ryu. Yusei Kikuchi's been hurt. Hasn't been very effective. So they really needed him. I mean, we just talked about the importance of acquiring pitching at the trade deadline. That was the big big move last year for the Blue Jays. And I think it's paid dividends this year. So those are the types of things that I look at and Jordan Romano picking up the save. He's a guy who's kind of come out of nowhere the last few years and blossomed into a really effective reliever it was just added to the American League all-star roster today. So he's going to be the sixth Blue Jay in that game. So that's a franchise that has, I know they struggled a little bit and they, they maybe haven't lived up to expectations and they they let go of their manager, Charlie Montoya last week, a bit unexpectedly, I might add, but they're sort of a team that could catch fire in the second half. And the way the Red Sox are currently constructed, I don't have a lot of confidence in them going forward. Bullpen's been atrocious. Chris pitching. Sale
2: like broke his pinky today. Did you see that? Yeah, not good. So, <laughs> look, the Red Sox are, are this is
3: sort of a little bit of a house of cards, and we've seen what injuries can do. They get, they were really hot in, uh, in June, but here in July they've absolutely cratered. So you could be looking at sort of a two-team race, especially if the Rays don't make a ton of moves to get better here they've been just ravaged by injuries as well. So the American league, I think the playoff races are wide open. I think it's going to be fascinating to watch. And the blue Jays, I think at the end of the day, they might have more talent than anybody. And they're certainly in a position to add, especially when you look at their catcher depth. I mean, they have three major league catchers who could start for 29 other teams, basically. So they have some, some moves to make here in the next few weeks.
2: Yeah. Janice Scurrio and I do the power rankings podcast. Every we do record it on Monday night comes out on Tuesdays. And, I'm like, every week, I'm like, the Blue Jays are going to go on a run. Like, it's going to happen, but it, it hasn't really happened. Maybe this will be the start of it, taking three or four from a very down Royals roster over the weekend. And, yeah, Jose Brios coming together is, is huge. He's had four good starts in a row now. If he can pitch close to the guy he was, you know, last year and, and through his years with the Twins, that's massive. That That Blue Jays team is way too talented, and I think they're going to be much better in the second half um, let me pull up their World Series odds. Uh, they had fallen down and I was like, if if there's someone you know beyond like the top four like the Yankees, Dodgers, Astros, Mets, and Braves that I would throw a little chip at, it would be, I think the Blue Jays. the Mariners are interesting too though, in, in that regard. like I, I don't know is, that doesn't really seem like a World Series winning te- team this year, but um,
3: uh, that's an interesting question. What's sort of your long shot? team that you'd like to see make a run that you think could because I have two teams that kind of stand out to me I'll I'll give you both of them uh the Mariners are the first team because I think Julio Rodriguez is that type of special talent where if he just decides he's going to be the best player in baseball he could carry your team you have Ty France who's kind of evolved in that middle of the order masher and I think they're in a position where they can add some pitching here their bullpen's really good I like them the other team's the Padres They just have so much pitching, and they're getting Fernando Tatis Jr. back. At some point, hopefully. You know, if that guy comes back and decides he's going to be the middle of the order for us we know he can be, they're in a position to make a run here, and anything can happen in a playoff series. So I, I like them. They go six deep, but they're just starting pitching too. Like, if you were able to bring, like, Mackenzie Gore in relief in a playoff series, like, we're talking legit weapons that they have.
2: I did find the odds here. Uh the Mariners are at plus 5,000. I like that. Phillies are at plus 4,000. I feel like they have the top end talent to do it, but uh, are the Blue Jays are plus 1,600. So it's Dodgers plus 400, Yankees plus 400, Astros plus 550, Mets plus 700, Braves plus 900, and then Blue Jays at plus 1,600. I, I like that value. Your Padres are plus 2,000. I think the Padres are going to be really active at the deadline um, they've had a good enough first half I think they've played better. Their record is better than the way they've played. Maybe um, starting pitching really led the way for them through the first two months. And it's still been pretty good. Um, but yeah, getting Tatis back and I don't know, they could get a, they're going to get a big middle order order to the bat at the deadline yeah. too. They,
3: they're in an interesting spot in their sort of building process as an organization where they have guys who you identify as long-term key pieces then you have those sort of extra guys lying around. On the, like a Jose uh, Isacar, like is he may not be a fit for your roster, but would he make sense for a rebuilding team to give 500 at-bats to and see what he can do? Sure. Know, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of pieces like that that they have uh, that I think would make sense for other teams uh, that would be attractive. So I think they have a lot of depth to, to deal from.
2: Uh, let's hit up a question here. Uh, does the vaccine situation for the Royals make it less likely? We see a lot of Massey, Eden, and Prado in the second half due to the inability to move veterans, or do you expect Whit Merrifield and Gang still to get moved? So, yeah, we saw Massey, Eden, and Prado over the weekend in Toronto because, again, 10 Royals could not make the trip to Ontario on account of being unvaccinated. Um, I, it, I mean, there were reports that, Teams have fallen out of the running for Benintendi and Merrifield because they're not vaccinated. I don't know. I, I still think they wind up getting moved. Maybe not with Merrifield as much because his trade value is, is tanked so much that the Royals might be like, let's just hang on to him and, and he can be like a leader for the next wave of success. Um, but I think Benintendi, def- they have to move him. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, I think that I think the Royals are, are going to be ready to sell. We had Ann Rogers of MLB.com on the pod uh, two weeks ago, and she said this. Yeah, the, the front office philosophy has changed to where they're not just going to ride through a deadline and and be satisfied with 500. I think they're going to go through a, a little bit of a more aggressive rebuilding operation in Kansas City than we've seen in recent years. I Because, I mean, Dayton Moore moved into, like, a president of baseball operations role and you know, they added a GM who's making more of the the day-to-day baseball decisions, the roster decisions. And I, I like Dayton more, like he's seems like a, a good human being, but I think he's a little bit hesitant to let go of guys that he likes, you know, or that he feels are important to the team and the community. And I think that it's time for the Royals to probably get aggressive and, and really start this youth movement with Bobby Witt Jr at the head of it. I mean, he, he's uh, he's really come on over the last two months and can definitely be a cornerstone for that franchise. they got to figure out the pitching thing somehow. Um, but, that, you know, maybe one of those young guys will pop eventually.
3: Yeah, I mean, that's a situation we already saw them kind of do this where they traded for Drew Waters last week. They moved a the competitive balance pick. Mm-hmm. So that's one where you're trading sort of that future long-term potential asset for something that's a little bit closer to the major league. So I think they're speeding up the development uh, track there, and they're trying to find guys who fit that more competitive window for right now. So I think that's the direction some of these moves can go, whereas maybe you trade some of the, your prospects who are in the lower minors, try to get somebody who's more ready now to contribute. So that's the direction I think they'd go in. Uh, I, it wouldn't shock me to see what Merrifield moved here, because I, I think the versatility would make an impact. Uh, it's, I, don't, I don't know what the comp would be. Maybe sort of like a Ben Zobrist type of player, where he yeah. makes sense for a contending team. I know they were on... Uh, the end of a couple of those deals back last decade, a couple of years ago now, it feels like forever. But um, yeah, I, I don't really know what direction the Royals are going to go here. But like you said, it, it sounds like they need to speed up the timeline a little bit. You can't be in this perpetual rebuild where you've drafted guys and then six years later you're trading those guys to get the same draft pick you had five years ago. Like that, you can't go on like that forever.
2: Yeah, yeah that's, that's kind of what they've been stuck in since they won that – World Series. Here's another one. Uh, was offered Garrett Cole for my Austin Riley. This is a dynasty. Riley is 16th round pick. Not keeping. Would you? Would you do? I was also offered Gosman and Bassett for him. So Garrett Cole for my Austin Riley. He has Bregman at third base. I should note. Oh, man, I, that wow. seems like what, such a need for need type of trade, right?
3: What scenario are you in that you're not keeping Austin Riley? Like he's not one of your best players on your team like if you're in that position where he's not someone you're keeping long term on your roster uh, I would do it because the pitching can kind of carry you to a championship if that's one thing I've seen from these long-term formats is when you have the ability to go win a title you, you kind of have to do it and you go after those top end starters who can go on a run like a six to eight start run here over the last month or so and really put you over the top so well,
0: he,
2: yeah
3: I I would I would do it but I don't know whether like is Garrett Cole off your roster next year? Like, these are the questions I would have about that. So, I, well,
2: I like what, that, what he adds, to. I was also offered Gosman and Chris Bassett for him. I might do that. Like, get get two, you know, top-tier starters. I know Bassett's been more up and down than we'd like, but he has the potential to have a really good second half. And, you know, Gosman's injury was just his ankle. Like, I'm not worried about that affecting him at all. I think he's going to be a, a downright ace in the second half. I would. I think I would actually go with the Gosman and Bassett. Yeah, and if, if you're not going to be keeping – Riley, maybe he added on to the three keepers. Oh, here we go. Three keepers, I have Acuna, Tatis, and Julio. Makes sense.
3: Yeah, yeah I can't yeah. really
2: argue with that. I would do it. If you need pitching, man, I would go for man or woman. I would go for uh, – I think I would go for Gosman and Bassett. Do you agree, or, or would you take Garrett Cole?
3: That's tough. I, I like the the one. I like the one guy approach um, here. I, I think Cole's gonna be fine. He's yeah. I'm looking at his start today right now as we record this. He's a seven strikeouts in four innings. So look, he's kind of an ace. He's durable. He's going to pitch. I would lean. I always go for the, the who's the the best player in the deal. I don't worry about some of the extra pieces involved.
2: I think I get a sometimes caught up in in quantity over quality. Um, it's it depends, man. If you really need to like reshape your pitching staff, maybe you do want to go for, like, I, I mean, you mentioned that Drew Waters trade. They got yeah three prospects, so two others along with Waters for that thirty fifth overall pick. And it's like maybe that thirty fifth overall pick will become a, a legit prospect too. But if you're the Royals, you like you kind of want more dart throws at you know these guys becoming potential contributors in your next wave of success and i think that's kind of what the yeah uh here's another would you trade bassett and bell for tucker josh bell and chris bassett for kyle tucker Ooh. probably man i feel like i need to sit with this one for a while i love kyle tucker and i think he's going to be better in the second half than he was in the first half um yeah i think i would go get kyle tucker for that uh, Josh Bell is going to get traded to a contender too, though. So you wonder if that really gives him a boost in like RBIs and runs scored if he's hitting in the middle of the Padres lineup. Wouldn't that be like a nice fit for them? So um,
3: Kyle Tucker is basically on pace for about 30 home runs and probably 25, almost 30 steals. That's a first round valuation from a yeah. fantasy contributor standpoint. I don't know how you, you pass that up. Josh Bell is a really nice player, but he's going to hit for a higher batting average. Josh Bell will, but yeah. I don't think that offsets what you know Chris Bassett's given you. I, I'd rather have Kyle Tucker. So yeah, I would. I would do. It sounds like that's he's offering Bassett and Bell for Tucker. So I would do it.
2: And he explains that his other starting pitchers are Nola, Verlander, Urias, John Gray, and Tyler Malley. Yeah, that's not bad. I mean, I think Tyler Malley should be better in the second half like maybe he gets traded too, gets out of cincinnati and you know he's
3: he's hurt right now isn't he? yeah he is Um, so john gray's been he's had some health issues like verlander's the big verlander's probably saved your season like the way he is pitched this year i don't know how you could expect 39 years old coming off tommy john uh he's been fantastic this season so he's probably a big reason why you're gonna have a shot to win
2: And we get an alert that uh, Dylan ceases through four no-hit innings with six strikeouts. Did he get added to the All-Star team? I'm assuming he did. There was a lot of late additions. And he Um, was – I think he was one of the more egregious snubs.
3: I don't think he's been added. Has he not? I mean, mean, I've gone through a lot of these, but um, I can check. But no. I guess if he's –
2: Yeah, if he's pitching today anyway, he can't even pitch. Yeah, he he wouldn't pitch in the game anyway.
3: Yeah. I I sort of hate the All-Star debate conversation. It's like – Sure. It's nice, but I mean I know.
2: It's, it's like really <laughs> someone
3: someone's gonna get left off the team. There's there's always there's always another snub, like like Ty France was the ultimate stub, and he just got at it today. And it's like, okay, now now there's gonna be another guy who should be on the team. So
1: it's
2: I, totally just like a blatant thing for content and like yeah. tweets like oh this guy got snubbed. All right, well, there's gonna be like fifty of them eventually. Just you know, <laughs> calm down. All right, before we go, I wanna preview the home run derby a bit. We're going to have a, uh, a whole betting content video tomorrow morning with me and a couple of the, the guys on the betting side at NBC Sports Edge, and I think DJ Short is going to be involved, too, where we're going to do a snake draft. So keep an eye out for that. I'm, I'm sure I'll be tweeting it out. Um, so don't
3: give away too many of your secrets here.
2: Yeah, I don't really. I mean <laughs>
3: – Is there a science to this? I want to no, know.
2: The, like. the, no, there's not. Um, so let me go through the odds here. I had it pulled up. Uh, Pete Alonso's plus 190, a pretty heavy favorite for this event going for the 3 Uh Kyle Schwarber's plus 300 Ronald Acuna juniors plus 600 Juan Soto's plus 650 Corey Seager plus 950 Julio Rodriguez at plus a thousand I really like that one uh, Jose Ramirez plus 1400 the only one I wouldn't bet on is Albert Pujols at plus 2000 um, but I, Jose Ramirez at plus fourteen hundred and Julio Rodriguez at, at plus one thousand. But you have to be kind of mindful um, that this is a bracket format and it, it's seeded by how many home runs a player the player has in the first half. So, like, what kind of stinks about that is Pete Alonso is going to face Acuna in the first round because Acuna was hurt and doesn't have you know didn't have enough time to rack up enough homers. Again, Alonzo, I think, has kind of figured out how to do this event, like how to not, you know, waste too much energy in the first rounds. Just find a swing that you can repeat. Don't go for the 500-foot home runs like Acuna might or Julio Rodriguez might. Um, just, you know, hit the ball over the wall and keep going. And, and like, it's it's muscle memory to him. And he's got that, uh, who's it, Dave Joust that throws yeah. to him? Like, Yeah. And, and they're they're in, like, great lockstep. So um, he
3: actually works for the Nationals now, but he's coming over to pitch to him in this case. So that's, that's the cool stuff that you like to see. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know. You're right. There's no exact science to this, but if you want to talk about who's the hottest hitter coming into this game, I think it's got to be Corey Seager. Yeah. Um, he has just been phenomenal since the start of July. He's got seven home runs in his last 15 games coming into today as you record this. So he might be the hottest guy and he has a lot of history in that stadium. So I sort of like the narratives. He's the guy no one's talking about probably. But you know, he, he's got the big contract. He comes back to LA. I like him. I, I think he's got a a good shot as a dark horse. If you're looking for a dart throw, yeah. I, I could get talked into him.
2: So so Schwarber has the easiest draw at least as I'm pulling up this bracket because he gets pools in the first round and then it'll be Juan Soto versus Jose Ramirez. That's kind of anyone's guess. Corey Seager versus Julio Rodriguez. That I think that'll be a super exciting yeah. first round matchup. And then Alonzo Acuna. I would take Alonzo there again. It kind of stinks that one of those guys is going to be out in the first round. Um I, I kind of get now why schwarber is has the second highest odds because he gets to face pools first um, and then he'll get either Juan Soto or Jose Ramirez next and while those guys are like tremendous some of the best hitters in baseball they're not like always big time like exit velocity kind of guys like they're they more they're more like hits all fields you know draw walks do it all type of, of hitters so I, I I think maybe Schwarber kind of has an easy road to the final if it plays out the way we think it might play I, out.
3: I'm a big Kyle Schwarber guy. I, I didn't understand what was going on with his um where he was being drafted in fantasy drafts this spring. Like it didn't make a lot of sense to me. I thought it should have been higher. Like the uncertainty around where he was going to end up certainly played a part in that. Yeah. But I mean the guy's on pace for what? He's he's on pace for almost fifty home runs this year. I mean, yeah. this is he's one of the best power hitters in the game and this is who we thought he was. Uh, He probably would have done it last year had he not gotten hurt with the Nationals there before he got traded midseason. All
2: right, so give me your pick before we sign off here. Did you already say? I'll go with the Dark
3: Quest. I'll go Corey Seager. I I like the narrative, the spot, and how he's been hitting lately. He's been hitting to all fields too, so I think – Dodger Stadium plays nice if you're a let's a pull hitter. So I kind of like his odds there. I don't, I don't certainly, I don't like it as much for like Pete Alonso. Like it's tougher on a righty. I feel like.
2: Yeah. I just, I feel like, I mean, at one point Alonzo's career earnings were higher for the home run derby than his salary from the Mets. I think that was true up until he signed his first year arbitration deal in in March, like, which is, is really incredible. I'm going to go with – I would go Alonzo, but since he's plus 190 and I, I want some better odds and what is kind of just a, an exhibition event, I'm going to go with Julio Rodriguez at plus 1,000.
3: So we're going head-to-head in the first round then. Why don't we uh, – we'll have a little side action going on. We'll make Dude, it I'm interesting, in.
2: by the way. Yeah. All right. We're doing it. All right. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, we'll, we'll do, we do these every Sunday. We can get some more like into waiver wire stuff next week, depending on – Who's hosting, we kind of rotate it. But uh, follow us on Twitter. I'm at Drew Silve. George is at George Bissell. Uh, Subscribe to the Circling the Bases podcast, and we'll see you next time.
0: The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to keepitfunohio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from
1: getting out of hand. It's one thing falling in love with a house, picturing yourself moving in and calling it home, and quite another navigating the world of price negotiating